Good Tuesday morning. My name is Jerry Miller, and thank you kindly for joining us on the Jerry and Jerry Show. It's our pleasure to connect with you. Um, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe himself, the star of this show. 40 years of covering Virginia sports and the Atlantic Coast Conference. 40 years of covering college football, college basketball, two sports we're both very passionate about. We have a marquee matchup tonight on national television. Two top 25 heavy hitters. They're going to go toe-to-toe in Memphis. Um, the Tigers right now are an early point favorite. We'll pick that game apart. UVA escaped with a victory against Northeastern. We'll break down that contest. We have National Signing Day today, or tomorrow, excuse me. And we also have a, a transfer portal um, update that is really going in Virginia's favor. I mean, the transfer portal has really done a, so far, um, has been a, been positive for the Wahoos. You, the viewer and listener, can direct the pace and tempo of this show, just like Charlie is doing right now in Richmond, asking Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe's take on Eric Montross. Judy, Judah Wickhauer is our director. If we can go to the two-shot, and let's welcome the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer to the program. Always distinguished, always dapper, um, always knowledgeable, always friendly, a man who knows this game inside and out. Um, Eric Montross, I remember watching him growing up. Um, he played on some Dean Smith teams that were perennial contenders. Um, he had a very distinct look to him with that high and tight haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, soft hands, could finish around the rim, got up and down the floor. Um, had a little bit of time in the National Basketball Association, but you certainly uh, knew his career better than most. Um, gone but not forgotten, Eric Montrose, Booty Ratcliffe. I mean, he was a big dude, <laughs> seven foot, and I mean, he had bulk to him, and he could be extremely physical, but he was pretty agile for a guy his size, and um, uh, well, I'll never forget that one game against Duke where the camera showed him the blood streaming down the side of his head, but, um, and I guess... I read a column late last night. Uh, someone close to him wrote uh, about, you know, that's that's how people identified with him mostly through the years. And uh, but he was so much more than than just a really good basketball player for the Tar Heels, and then later with the Celtics. But he was just a good dude. I mean, he was he was the kind of guy you you just never got tired of seeing him or being around him. He was just. He was a family man. He was a, just a, a great guy. So uh, so generous with his time, so kind. Um, I didn't have tons of interaction with him, but uh, back when Woody Durham was the play-by-play guy for Carolina, before Woody, sadly, uh, his health went bad and he passed away, um, Woody, would, Woody would always get me uh, to do – a pregame interview, uh, giving the Virginia perspective on the game, either at U-Haul or um, I think I think we made it into JPJ, but and and then Eric was his sidekick, his color analyst, and uh, that we would do that in Charlottesville and in Chapel Hill. So uh, I would always go over, and you had a little. A little bit of space you could try to squeeze into beside Woody, and how Eric uh, Montross fit into that space is with his size. I, I don't know, but Eric was always so kind. He would lend me his headset. I'd be in his seat, and he wanted to make sure that I had everything I needed to to be comfortable and, and do the interview. And it, it, you know, you'd bump into him at, at games, and then media days and stuff like that. And it, he was just a sweet, sweet man, and uh, I don't think I ever heard anybody say anything bad about Eric Montross. He was just uh, just a good guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Fifty-two years old. I know. Gone, gone way too soon. Fifty-two years young. I mean, you put this in perspective. This was in perspective last week, uh, which you know during the during the show when we lost um, a local in Charlottesville, Wilson Ritchie, friend yeah. of the program, man. who had opened a number of restaurants. Um, the older you get, the more you realize how fragile life is, Hootie. It truly is. And uh, 
the older I get, uh, I lose more people all the time. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's difficult, very difficult. And, um, uh, one of the worst parts of my job over the years has been writing about some of those people who have passed and uh, that I've gotten to know or, or some of them I didn't get to know very well, uh, but knew of them and, and had to try to present their story um, as a final farewell. And that's, that's very difficult sometimes. It, it's uh, very emotional and uh, tough. We just lost a guy in, in the Virginia basketball community um, recently, uh, very unexpected, Bobby Edwards. Um, um, he was one of the guys that painted Ralph's house on U-Haul for Ralph's official visit, one of the greatest uh, pranks, I guess you could call it, <laughs> in in Virginia sports history, if, if not college sports history, but uh, sadly passed uh, unexpectedly and uh, I, I'm uh, fortunate enough through uh, Jackie Burkhead uh, the widow of Frank Burkhead uh, they have a group called Friends of Frank and of course Frank uh, left us way too early several years ago and she has a group called Friends of Frank, and, and uh, it's mostly Virginia basketball players from the, that played for Terry Holland and were uh, in that era. And uh, they get together at least once a year at, at Jackie's house, and uh, uh, Bobby Edwards was certainly one of those guys. But, but it's, uh, um, it's, it's, it's tough when we see people like that um, Going by the wayside, all you know, unexpectedly or, or even expectedly, it's just uh, very tough. Uh, Jerry uh, Ratcliffe, pointing words from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer and the man who's been on the beat longer than longer than any um, folks in Memphis. We'll get to the basketball game here in a matter of moments. We're going to talk on the program, um, the Tigers. The Tigers right now, a depending on where you shop. A three-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under, 131-and-a-half, 22-23 in the AP pool. Nine-and-one overall UVA against eight-and-two overall Memphis. How do you characterize this matchup? Would you say similar teams, completely different teams? How would you characterize this fight? A huge contrast in styles of play. Uh, of course, if you're listening to this show, you're probably a Virginia fan, so you know how Virginia plays, but Memphis is the exact opposite. Coached by Penny Hardaway, former NBA star, uh, Little Penny, if you remember those commercials from back in the day, which were always fun. Uh, he's tried to bring uh, NBA style of play to the college ranks out in Memphis. Um, before the Grizzlies, Memphis was uh, university, was their pro team. Uh, so they, they have a loyal fan base out there and uh, he tries to get up and down the court and in fact that's how, what he credits uh, their ability to beat Clemson last Saturday. Clemson was uh, one of the few unbeatens in the country when they went into Memphis and lost by two points 79-77 but Hardaway said after the game that that was true Memphis basketball, and what he meant by that was they wanted to run Clemson into the ground, and they pretty much did. At the end of the game, Brad Brownell, the Clemson coach, said we were tired, um, especially our big guys were, were tired. Penny Hardaway said he noticed at the end of the game that Clemson's players were exhausted, and that was by design because all week – in preparation for that game, Memphis practiced getting up and down the floor as fast as they possibly could. And that's exactly what they're going to try to do tonight against Virginia. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see who controls the pace of that game. That's going to be, that's going to dictate who probably survives. And the, the old axiom among college basketball coaches is it's a lot easier to 
slow a team down than to speed one up. We've seen people try to do that to Virginia before. So it's going to be important for Virginia to try to dictate the pace of the game. Did you say this this Tigers team, is the Tigers team the most difficult opponent Virginia's face? Uh, possibly. Uh, that Wisconsin team was tall. They were bruisers, controlled yeah. the paint. Yeah, and, you know, that was presented some difficult matchups for Virginia because, like you said, they had length, they had they were physical. Virginia didn't have a really good answer for that. I, I think Virginia's fairly well prepared for Memphis in that Tony will play three or four guards. They can all – and they're more athletic than the average Virginia team has been. So th- these guys can move fluidly if they have to. Uh, they're all decent ball handlers. They're all decent passers. They all can shoot. Um, they all can play defense. So uh, Memphis is not the biggest team in the world, but they are athletic. And so I, I think Virginia's probably better prepared for that kind of lineup than they, they were Wisconsin. Uh, the Tigers guys, they're going to have a packed arena. Again, the odds makers have them as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The line open at two-and-a-half. Uh, the over-under at a buck 31 and change. Um, this basketball team may go as uh, its guard play goes, and Reese Beekman was clicking against Northeastern. Uh, he put that team on his back. Northeastern's head coach highlighted Reese Beekman as, as the heart and soul of the program, heart and soul of the team. He willed the Hoos to victory, Reese Beekman. Let's talk Beekman against the Memphis Tigers and how you see that matchup playing out. Yeah, we may have been a little premature last week. With an, Isaac anointing McNeely. <laughs> I know. The MVP. I was thinking the same I thing, my I was called friend. out on that by a couple of people. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Beekman, uh, he certainly proved it, that when it's crunch time that um, he knows how to put the team on his back and, and deliver, and he certainly did. And uh, there was there was everybody in JPJ at the end of that game the other night knew exactly what was going to happen, that it was Reese Bigman to win or lose. And it's essentially give the ball to Reese and get the hell out of his way and let him do his thing, and that's exactly what he did. Scored a winning basket with five seconds to go. Um, I mean, he, he was – Exactly what you expected Reese Bigman to be in that game. He scored a career high, uh, 21, 22 points. Um, took control down the stretch. And uh, the Northeastern coach was right. He he willed his team to victory. And that's the kind of guy you want at your point guard spot and as the leader of your team. Bigman finished with 21, 21 of 56 total points. That's the uh, the who's posted 56 in the 56-54 victory. Let's break down the box score here. I'm looking at it right now. You had, uh, I mean, a few days before this contest, you and I um, call Isaac McNeely um, maybe the most important player on the team. I still, you know, see what we were going for. You got to score to win. And McNeely's the guy that perhaps is the best scorer right now. He finished 3 of 12 from the floor. Two of six from downtown with eight points in 37 minutes. Not a single Wahoo besides Reese Beekman broke double digits. McNeely had eight. Groves had eight. Rody had zero. Right. Zero for Rody. Don is still trying to figure out his scoring acumen. Maybe the most explosive player on the floor. Got length out of the gym. Finished with five points. Gertrude give you a little bonus. Buchanan give you a little something off the bench. Bond gave you a little something off the bench. Biner's not cracking the rotation. He got no minutes. What do you think happened against Northeastern? Well, I, Northeastern had a good game plan. They they were not going to let McNeely beat them, and they focused their game plan around that. After seeing him light up two teams, two really good teams in previous games, but they essentially had a, a, a three-man plan to stop him and not give him looks. And they they did a good job of it. I think Isaac would be the first person to tell you that that they made it difficult for him. Uh, still, those two three-pointers he hit were really big three-pointers. Absolutely. 
And the fact that they were focusing on him so much opened up driving lanes for Beekman, particularly Beekman and, and anybody else who uh, wanted to attempt that. So uh, even though he wasn't scoring, he he played a role in the fact that he drew so much attention that it helped his teammates. So um, I don't think McNeely um, – I don't think McNeely can go three of 12 from the floor with eight points for a chance to beat, you know, against a better Memphis basketball team. Yeah, if the Hoosiers are going to win. It'll be very difficult if that, if that happens. Um, and I don't suspect that it will, but we don't know what Memphis is thinking either. So, um, but yeah, that, that would make it very difficult. Uh, Rody. What's going on with Rody? Well, he, he was, he said he missed nine days of practice during that, exam break he had a foot issue so uh if anybody had a reason to be rusty it was certainly him uh so i you know he didn't play his normal game but uh, you know he again he hadn't practiced i think but one day out of 10 so you got to cut him a little bit of slack i think um i think dunn's going to be fine he, he, he plays such an overall full court game sometimes he doesn't need to score but I, I think he's going to have to up his scoring a little bit just to help this team get to where it needs to be absolutely absolutely viewers and listeners let us know your thoughts the legacy jones fan is watching on uh twitter on your twitter account edward jenkins watching on your twitter account folks i see watching in richmond williamsburg newport news charlottesville crozet northern virginia the baltimore area folks in memphis watching the program folks outside nashville on our heat map right now south florida's on the show pennsylvania's on the program right now let's go to jonathan who's got this question for hootie how does tony bennett work gertrude into the rotation to get even more minutes does he do it in place of roadie uh uh, it's a good question. I mean, Gertrude is so athletic, you, you got to give him minutes. And I think it probably depends on how Rody's playing. Uh, it, I think Tony trusts Rody because he does have a year of experience under his belt. He's a better shooter. He's a good – he's got a little size to him. Um, it, yeah, he, he, can, he can shoot. Uh, he's a good passer. I think that's an underrated quality. He's not not bad on the defensive end of the floor either. So uh, I, I don't know that they're going to take a lot of minutes away from Rody, but uh, the, I'm sure they're going to try to get Gertrude as much time as they can. Um, but, I, you know, I, it, Tony's not a guy who likes to take a lot of minutes away from the more experienced guys unless they're just not playing well. Ah, this question's coming from Laura. She's watching in Williamsburg. Can you give us a Dante Harris update, please? Uh, didn't come up in the post game the other day. Um, I think he's just, they're being very careful with him and making sure that that injury is 100% before you bring him back because that's the kind of thing. If you come back too early. High ankles can linger. It can linger and, and yeah. you can miss even more time. So. Right. Um, you think he's held out into 2024? Uh, yeah, I don't think we'll see him tonight, and probably, yeah, because they don't they don't play a, a real challenging schedule. Um, well, even in January, they start ACC play, but they don't play any of the Giants in the league until February. So, I'm sure they're going to be very cautious with him. But they don't want to make that injury any worse. Um, questions, put them in the feed. I'll relay them live on air. Here's a good question. How does a guy like Blake Buchanan match up against Memphis with the tempo so quick and up and down the floor? That's a great question right there from Thomas. Your thoughts on Buchanan with Memphis? Well, he's, he can get up and down the floor. He, he's, he's not the fastest guy in the world, obviously. But he, he, it's not, the, not like he can't run. But I, I don't think that uh, – Virginia's going to get into a, a greyhound race with Memphis. If they do, they're going to get pounded. They'll give up 80 points and lose. Uh, Virginia's going to be very deliberate in trying to slow this game down and frustrate Memphis because they're not used to playing that style of basketball. They're not used to chasing for 
the entire shot clock. They're not used to having to wait late in the shot clock to get a quality shot. So I don't think we're going to see him having to get up and down the floor uh, a lot. I mean, uh, Virginia's deal is to, after the shot, is to get people back, get the pack line set. Tony believes that if that pack line is back and ready, that it's going to make it very difficult for the other team to score. He doesn't want to give up transition baskets. If they if they do, they're going to be in trouble. And uh, certainly the, they'll probably come out of Memphis with an L. But uh, certainly his game plan is going to not allow that to happen and to be as deliberate and slow-paced as they possibly can. Um, Renee Pettiford watching the program. Renee says, if Rody can't go, who will play in his place? And what's he think the starting lineup is going to look like against Memphis? And will it be different versus other starting lineups we've seen because of their athleticism? Tim Bates, hello. Garland Stafford, hello. I think Rody will play. I think he's ready to go. Uh, the fact that he came back and played against Northeastern and, and had a decent amount of minutes, uh, I, uh, I'm pretty confident he'll be ready for tonight. Um. This game seems to favor the length and athleticism of these guys on the roster. I'll get out of your way here, Hootie. You got Elijah Gertrude. You got Ryan Dunn. You got Leon Bond. Those three guys, we can make a very convincing argument, the three most athletic guys, explosive guys on the roster. Mm -hmm. How do you see minutes being spread to Dunn, Gertrude, and Bond because their athleticism may match what Memphis has um, a little bit more than, say, a Groves, um, perhaps a little bit more than you would. I mean, I don't think T.J. Miner's going to get off, or excuse me, Jordan Miner's going to get off the bench in this one. Probably uh, not. Uh, I think this one is, is just, he seems a bit slow when Memphis is ready to rock and roll out of the gates from, from a speed and explosive standpoint. So that question, that I got some follow-ups from the viewers and listeners outside Baltimore for you. Well, yeah, I I think, you know, those guys could end up getting more minutes tonight depending on how the game goes. Memphis is not the the biggest team. They don't tower over you like uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin right. did to some degree. But um, if you look, it's going to be interesting to see who Beekman matches up with, whether it'll be Memphis's best offensive player, David Jones, a 6'6", Senior forward, a two-time transfer. He had 22 points against Clemson, 16 in the second half. It'll be interesting to see if, if uh, Bigman takes him on or if they'll try to put a bigger guy like Dunn on him uh, and and let uh, Bigman cover Javon Quinterly, who had 17. He's only a 6'1 guard. Uh, then they got Nick Jordan. He's a 6'9 guy. Um but, you know, they're, they're very athletic. And so it's going to be interesting to watch the matchups tonight and see who's guard, defending who, uh, who's switching on who, uh, whether Tony will mix that up from time to time. Um, so that could lend to those three guys who are more athletic getting a few more minutes tonight, again, depending on – the pace of the game so it'll be fun you know th- this is a this is a, a a big line in the sand game for memphis because this is know, something they'll look back on as they make a case for march yeah because you know they they're in the american there athletic conference their um, conference is not the strongest no they they lost two of their better basketball programs to the big, big 12 houston and cincinnati so other than Florida Atlantic, uh, that's the only team in that conference other than Memphis that's that's uh, going to be highly regarded throughout the season. They're, they're going to race race through their conference schedule. So they're having to get as many good wins now and store them away and hope that that impresses the tournament committee come March because uh, – and that's why they've played – that's why they played a really tough out-of-conference it, schedule. It's a 13th 
toughest schedule in the country. And they got Michigan. They beat Michigan. They beat Arkansas, who's a top 20 team. They lost to Villanova. They lost to Ole Miss. They beat VCU. They beat Texas A&M. They beat Clemson. They got Virginia. I mean, this is a battle-tested Memphis team. No question about it. Uh, And, uh, you know, they've they've gotten their fan base excited for Clemson and for tonight's game. They want huge turnouts. Uh, their players uh, listen to their interviews after the Clemson game, and they credited the crowd being rowdy uh, as, as helping them win that game. Uh, and, I, you know, it could come down to another thriller dealer at the end, just like the Clemson game did, 79-77. A matchup they, of Tigers. They've played some tight games in those, in those contests. And, uh, you know, Hardaway was – vocal about it. He, he was he couldn't understand why they hadn't been in the top 25 up until this week after they beat Clemson because he's wanting to get noticed now and he was kind of hacked off that that the AP voters were not giving his team a little more attention prior to to Saturday when they knocked off the Clemson very well said. I think this is a, a hell of a matchup for Virginia. And, I mean, may, may be able to make an argument the, the tough victory against Northeastern pays dividends for the Hoos against the Tigers because it almost serves as a wake-up call. Because they came, they didn't get off the bus in the first half against Northeastern. Right. So maybe it's a wake-up call where it's like, maybe we can't just skate by the season. And if they're going to play Memphis on the road, it's not like they got the advantage of playing in the John Paul Jones Arena where they play fantastic basketball. They go to Memphis. It's a national televised game. Um, and I would imagine Coach Bennett is, is saying exactly what Hootie Ratcliffe has said, which is very astute. The Tigers are going to look at this as one of their resume builders for the big dance. Yeah, this is, in, in one aspect, this is one of their biggest games of the year. And, and they're, maybe their last big game until March. Uh, they do play Florida Atlantic, who's ranked. But... Uh, and was in the Elite Eight last year. But, 14 right now, Florida Atlantic. Yeah. we got two games against FAU. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Memphis is going to pour everything it has into this game tonight. And Virginia better answer. If they don't, they, they could be in for a long night. What are Hootie Ratcliffe's keys to victory? Well, I, again, it's dictating the pace. They, they can't run with Memphis. There's no way they can do that. Uh, even if they could, Tony wouldn't allow that to happen. Uh, but uh, I, I think they've, they've got to limit their turnovers. They've got to take good shots and, and not give up transition baskets. That's what it's going to boil down to. And uh, not letting any Memphis guy catch fire, which Virginia is usually pretty good at. Uh, Reese Bigman has made uh, a couple of a guy from Texas A&M and, a, and a, who was the other big game they played after that. But um, he was matched up against guys who were averaging 20-some points a game, and, and he made them both look silly uh, with his defensive Syracuse. lockdown. Yeah, Syracuse. Um, he he just uh, locked those two guys down, and, and they had miserable nights. And that that, that may be what happens tonight if if they match him up against David Jones and see if he can keep that guy from going off. We'll watch it closely. Uh, Garland Stafford says, why can't we block out and rebound and get loose balls, Hootie? Well, they can. And and I'm sure that's something that Tony emphasizes in practice. Um, I mean, Charles Barkley was is the first guy that will that We'll talk to you about rebounding. He and uh, and and some of the other best rebounders in in uh, basketball history will tell you rebounding is a state of mind. It's not always your size; it's want to. And so that's something that they've just got to be more conscious of: is blocking out on every shot and going for the rebound. It's not that they can't. Uh, they just haven't done a very good job of that. And, you know, Tony tells his team all the time that, and, and not just this team, but all of his teams, and it's usually the case, it's, we're walking a thin line here. And if, we're not, if we don't show up ready to play and, and 
stick to all of our disciplines, we're going to lose. And I don't think they had that in mind when they played Northeastern the other night. And they should have lost. It, it, they can't take that approach to Memphis and expect to win. Tim Bates watching the program in Evington, Virginia. Thank you, Tim, for watching the show. We encourage all the viewers and listeners that are watching the program, if you're on Facebook, to follow Jerry Ratcliffe on Facebook. He posts all his content on that uh, platform as well. You can find his Facebook page, jerryratcliffe.com. Look for the orange circle with the fantastic JR logo inside it. Um, questions continue to come in. This is a very good one right here. Um, if McNeely struggles offensively, who does Hootie think is the third option to pick up the slack with Beekman and McNeely being the first two? Do we, we, I guess we've got to look at Rody there. Uh, probably Rody, uh, possibly Groves, who can score inside and outside. That would probably be uh, – those, those two guys would probably be the prime candidates for that. Uh, Dunn, possibly, if he wants to become more aggressive offensively, and they're going to need him to because there are going to be games in the ACC where they're going to need him to score. Um uh, but it, it could be one of those things where it, it could be any of those guys any night. But uh, tonight, I would say probably Rody and possibly Groves. Baker giving us a little, uh, a little bit of our medicine. John Blair watching in Stanton. Baker says this. You boys said McNeely was the important, most important player on the team. How about that Reese Beekman against Northeastern? Okay, Baker. Thank you for your comment. We appreciate you. We're eating a little crow. We'll eat a little crow. You, you said you heard <laughs> a little like bit of that as pepper. well. I yeah. like, like a little pepper on my crow. He likes a little pepper. <laughs> I like mine with a little salt and pepper, if you could. Maybe a little ranch on the side. We, we understand the importance of Reese Beekman from a leadership standpoint. We get that he's the point guard. We get he's one of the best defenders in the conference, one of the best defenders in the country. We see that he's an NBA point guard waiting to happen. We understand what happened against Northeastern where he put the team on the back. We're just saying with Isaac McNeely is clicking, it opens up the offensive side for the entire team. Opens up driving lanes for Beekman, opens up driving lanes for Gertrude, makes things easier for Dunn inside the paint. He stretches and spreads the floor, McNeely, when he's playing well, Hootie. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there, there's going to be times when your best three-point shooter draws that kind of attention. They're not, other teams are not going to let him beat you. They're going to And it's important out. to highlight that. Even if he yeah. struggled, he's still opening up the floor yes. for other players on his team. Yeah. Uh, Bigman was first to admit it the other night that he had more driving lanes uh, open up because they were paying so much attention to McNeely. And uh, that's, that's the beauty of having a great three-point shooter is that if he's having an off night or if the uh, defense is focused on shutting him down exclusively, then it, somebody's going to be open and uh, they're going to be driving lanes. And if you've got other three-point shooters, they should be able to take advantage of that. Uh, they didn't the other night uh, in terms of three-point shooting. They, they were not very good from the arc, but uh, they may have to be tonight. Uh, you got a pick? What's your crystal ball say? Oh, wow. Uh, you got Memphis covering? You take the who's with the points? I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm a little curious about this Memphis team because I've seen this happen before over the years where you've got teams that may not be extremely well-disciplined and they're used to having their way and running up and down a court and – scoring at will uh, on fast break opportunities. And when that stuff's taken away from them, they panic. They don't know what to do. So uh, I, I think if Virginia is effective in dictating the pace of the game, that it, it could work a lot of uh, problems into, into the heads of the Memphis players because, again, they're, they're not accustomed to – slowing it down and playing a, a 40 or 50 point paced game. So, uh, I, you know, they barely beat Texas A&M. Virginia walloped A&M and could have beaten them even worse than what they did. That, that, was, uh, that was one of Virginia's best showings. And yeah. it could have gone way worse, absolutely. 
Um, and, and they barely slipped by Clemson. And, you know, Clemson, I like to call Clemson the spray tan of the ACC. I they, like that. They, they look good when they first come out, but it wears off after a while. So, I, you know, I, I don't know that, uh, that Clemson is, is a world beater either. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to write off Virginia's possibility of winning this game, even though, though it's on the road. Oh, spray tan of the ACC is one of the best references you have made on this talk show, my friend. I think that was absolutely very uh, on point. Um, a little pop culture reference there for Hootie Radcliffe. Um, dot the I's and cross the T's on hoops, and then we'll head to the transfer portal, football, and National Siding Day. JerryRadcliffe.com has done a fantastic job of coverage when it comes to National Siding Day. I'm reading the lead headline right now. Will UVA flip ex-Indiana commit Courtney? Announcement coming Tuesday, which is today. I'm reading headlines like Virginia beats out Florida State, Missouri Hokies for a 2025 lineman. I'm reading headlines like UVA gains second portal commit in one day, adding Stanford, UCF lineman Metcalf. Metcalf. So we're going to get to all these, but before we do, dot the I's and cross the T's on hoops, Hootie. Yeah, I I just think this is going to be an NCAA atmosphere tournament-type game tonight out there because – Memphis loves basketball. Memphis loves basketball. Uh, everything that they stand for is on the line tonight. Uh, it's a big moment for Penny Hardaway. Uh, going, I think I had uh, Mark Giannato um, on your on podcast. podcast the other yeah. day. He used to cover Virginia for the Washington Post and is excellent columnist for the commercial appeal out there now. And uh, he said he thought that Penny maybe secretly has, has admired the way Virginia plays defense all these years and, and just wants to get a close look at it. And and certainly he will tonight. And, and it's a home and home, so Memphis will come here next year. Uh, so yeah, it's just going to be a, a fun game to watch. It's 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 um, I, you know, I, and Tony wanted to play a a quality opponent on the road to get his team ready for ACC play because they're going to have to go into some arenas this year where it's going to be hostile. So uh, both teams, both programs can benefit from this game in one way or the other. I just think it's going to be a a fun game for a fan to watch. UVA 9-1, guys. They put their 9-1 record on the line. Got a sneeze coming. Ah, just passed. The Tigers are three and a half point favorites. The over under at a buck thirty one and change. Virginia has got a test today on national television. Um, perhaps their uh, their last real test until conference play opens up. I mean, you got Virginia's got what Morgan State and Notre Dame to close out the year. Then they start ACC play in full swing with Louisville, NC State, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech. We'll follow the team closely. We'll talk football. The transfer portal. They can't lay an egg out there tonight. They they show up unready to play like they did against Northeastern. Memphis will run them out of the gym. Yeah, they'll get the doors blown off. Yeah, they'll get run out of the gym. This is a very good Memphis team here. Um, The transfer portal has been kind to Virginia. Put it in perspective for us. Yeah, and, you know, I think think Tony Elliott in his second year has found a, a, a pretty decent approach. He's learning that what it takes to find players that will uh, fit into the Virginia program. Uh, if you'll notice, most of these guys have strong academic backgrounds. Some of them have been from the Ivy League. One guy was a former Stanford player. Uh, so they're going after guys who have good, solid academics and have been mostly all conference players wherever they came from, a couple of all Ivy League players. And um, I know people say, well, well, it's the Ivy League. But uh, if you look at some of the other schools that are after the same guys, some pretty solid football programs have tried to get these guys into their program. So I I think – that's been smart. Uh, Notre Dame uh, as well. Um, he's also looking at guys that have had some, you know, are from the state of Virginia that went elsewhere to play and tried to get them to come home. 
as in Chris Tyree from Notre Dame. There's another guy from the Ivy League from Williamsburg. Uh, so they've gone about it in an intelligent way. They've found some guys who uh, can help them in, in the areas of need on the team and who have some talent. I, I don't think they're done yet. I hope not. Uh, they have five players at this point. And um, they've done a good job of retaining their own talent. Uh, it's, we haven't seen the mass exodus of good players that we did the last two years under Bronco and Tony's first year. So uh, part of that is they have enhanced their NIL program. Uh, don't ask me for numbers because I don't know other than some rumors that I've heard, but I do know that uh, they have enhanced it. There's some donors that have come forth. You see the murmurs on Twitter? I see them. Uh, I, I just do it by talking to people mostly. I'm on the phone a lot or talking to people a lot. But um, they're, uh, they've, they've done a really good job of, of keeping what they've got and bringing in some other guys. The, the, the people they've lost, for the most part, are not going to hurt them. Um, James Watson, thank you for the kind words. He's a Virginia graduate. He says, the fantastic show, gentlemen. I look forward to listening to the analysts, the an analysis every week. Not sure anybody's doing this type of show in college town for the most part. Thank you, James Watson. We put a lot of work into this. We appreciate the kind words. James, you've always been a good supporter of our content here, and we're grateful for you, sir. Um, this question has come in from Jennifer. Jennifer routinely watches in the Richmond area. We have a loyal viewership and listenership in the Richmond area, which makes sense because yeah. there's a lot of UVA. We love Richmond. UVA, I do love Richmond. Um, one of the places that I could live if I wasn't living here in Charlottesville would be Richmond. Um, this one, Tony Elliott and the transfer portal seems to be critical for this football team to turn around. Does Hootie think he's gotten any marquee talent in the portal so far that can make an impact right away? I don't want to speak for Hootie, but the, the wide receiver from Notre Dame seems to be a Washington clone. Yeah, he, he's, he's an impact player. There's no question about it. Chris Tyree uh, from Chesapeake. Uh, no, um, Chester. Right. Uh, right there in your backyard. Right, Jennifer. right outside Richmond. Uh, he, he's a, he's a uh, difference maker, I think, or will be for Virginia. I think he's uh, a lot like Malik Washington in the fact that he has good speed. He's athletic. Um, he can run with the football. He can catch the ball. He was Notre Dame's uh, – leader in receiving yards this past season. Uh, he was a former running back for the Irish and trans transitioned to receiver this past season. Um, he was a dynamic uh, recruit coming out of high school down there at Thomas Dale. I think he was a five-star by some accounts, four by the others, uh, recruited by a lot of big-time programs. And uh, he's also a, a dynamic kick returner. So uh, I, there was a note on him. Uh, since Julius Jones, who's Thomas Jones' little brother, younger brother. Played uh, for the Cowboys. Notre Dame and the Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, Tyree is the first guy at Notre Dame since Julius Jones to score uh, rushing touchdowns, receiving touchdowns, and kick return touchdowns. So uh, that, that he's, he's the kind of guy that – not only can he catch the ball, but he can get yards after catch, and that's what you want uh, this, from a guy like him. This is, a, this is from Brian, who's a 2006 UVA graduate. He touched on the NIL. Is there any more that he can give us on the NIL? This is the first I'm hearing of this. We'll also highlight Susan Hendrickson, who's watching the program. And you want to go, the, go down the road of NIL or to be determined? Well, it, it's very difficult to get information on the NIL because schools don't have to divulge that. Some do because they like to brag about it, but Virginia's not like that. I, I do know from reliable sources that some donors have stepped it up. I, I don't know how many. I don't know to what degree. I do, I've heard some numbers, but I, I'm not going to repeat those because I, I'm not going to repeat something I can't confirm. But I do know that uh, there's some guys that have stepped up, and they're uh, – 
making sure that some of these guys who are in the program stay in the program. Uh, and uh, if you're, you don't have to worry about it, I don't think Calandria leaving. I was told that his uh, parents have bought a home in a very nice neighborhood in Charlottesville, a very expensive neighborhood. Uh, I think he drives a, a Mercedes around town. I'm not sure about that, but I think he does. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to leave here because of money, even though I, I think they have um, – Options presented him some nil money. As yeah, well. yeah. Um, uh, but I, you know, I, I can't go into a lot of detail or a lot of depth without just repeating rumors. And I, I again, I, I can't conf- I could confirm some of it, but some of it's off the record. And uh, but I, I do know that they've they've done a much better job, and uh, they're not. They don't, they're not quite as handcuffed as they were before. Roderick Mullins watching the program. Thank you kindly for watching the show. Um, Christopher's got this question for us. Christopher is watching in Northern Virginia. He says, the NIL's got to turn around fairly quickly if this team's going to compete in the Atlantic Coast Conference with Clemson, with Florida State, with North Carolina, and the likes of them. What does Hootie think, and I understand he can't offer specifics, could be done differently with the NIL to improve this funnel? Well, it's all about how much the school is willing to, how far they're willing to go with NIL. Uh, and I haven't had a lot of official conversations with anybody over there and what they're, uh, I mean, they say they want to do it the right way. We still haven't quite figured out. It, I, I think I know what they mean by that. Uh, same philosophy that Dabo Sweeney has at Clemson. He doesn't want to pay players enormous amounts of money uh, via NIL. He doesn't believe in that. Um, some schools do, some schools don't. Um, it's awfully hard to keep up with the Joneses if you're not doing all you can. And I didn't think Virginia was doing enough before. I th- again, I th- I think it's healthy that they're stepping it up a little bit. Again, I, I don't know all the numbers. I don't know how far w- widespread this is. Uh, they uh, Some schools will pay guys coming in, freshmen, big amounts of money. Uh, some will go out into the portal and chase players for big amounts of money. We heard Matt Rule talk about <laughs> $2 million about, dollars uh, for a quarterback? Yeah. And I'm sure Nebraska's doing that, uh, I would think. Uh, Dabo Sweeney doesn't want to pay that kind of money. Uh, other schools don't mind it at all. Some of them are very happy to do so. And uh, it doesn't guarantee that you're even going to win. I mean, look what Texas A&M spent last year, before last year, through the NIL. They, uh, We heard what Nick Saban said, accused Jimbo Fisher of doing is Buying, buying his team um, didn't work out so well. No, well, it worked yeah. out maybe a little bit for Jimbo with that seventy plus million dollar <laughs> yeah, payday to leave. For Jim, but he had yeah. that before. He did have that before. Uh, That's true. But uh, you know, a lot of those players have transfer, since transferred out. Uh, I think a couple of them are just transferred into Carolina this week, a quarterback and and somebody else. But. Um, it's it's just uh, it depends on how. Far your school is willing to go in terms of paying players. I mean, some schools are just opposed to making it a big deal. Uh, Virginia's again. The Virginia is not as handicapped as they were before, but they're, don't don't expect them to go out and be uh, trying to outbid other schools for for players through the portal. I, that's just, I don't think that's going to happen. What do you think of Chip Kelly's comments, the UCLA head coach? Did you see I, you it? Know, I, I'm anxious to see those. I, I've heard that he made a lot of great comments, and I meant to look that up last night, and I ran out of time. But maybe you can refresh, Chip, refresh Chip me Kelly, up on that. Chip Kelly basically suggested that um, college football as we know it is dead. He laid out a framework um, to try to save college football, regional rivalries, and 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 – 
maybe college football. Um, he basically called it one big conference. Um, and with the big conference says it's a 64-team league, eight divisions of eight teams with the 16-team playoff at the end. You win the division, it's an automatic bid. The remaining eight spots are determined by the committee. Divisional schedules with no, enough room for crossover. He said you could call each of these divisions, the eight divisions, like the Nike division, the Amazon division, Coca-Cola division for branding. Players could get some money. Um, create parity, potentially, with the 64 best programs out there. Um, it's a completely different look for well, college football. I, I think he's right. Um, I think that's where we're headed. Every, everything I've seen and read the past year is seems indicate that that's the direction we're going in and nothing's slowing it down or, or backing it up. Uh, we're almost there. I mean, pretty much are there. Uh, college football as we knew it is pretty much dead. It's, yeah. it's still a fun game and all that, but uh, it's more of a money game now. Um, it's going to get more so as we go along. Uh, we may see player unions before it's all over with. Uh, the new director of the NCAA has suggested that we go to a, a big widespread uh, under one tent deal, like like he said. Uh, I don't know that it'll be 64 teams. I think the the new director said some teams are not going. Some schools are not going to want to pay. I mean, Virginia is one of them. To that degree. Yeah. And so they will be at a sort of another level. I mean, it's all kind of what we had before, but the money wasn't involved like it is now. I mean, Virginia, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see into the future. I can't see Virginia loosening academic standards and buying players because it prides itself so much in prestige and its, you know, institutional recognition and its brand and its pedigree. Um, and, and that's, you know, found, the foundation of it is academics and, 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 and doing everything above board. I just don't see Virginia being able to compete at this level uh, of college football. So I'm not, you know, necessarily opposed to that. Now, granted, Virginia fans are going to have to accept potentially they may have, they may be seen as a second tier of college football and not in the first tier. Um, but if we're willing to potentially accept that, then I don't see the problem with this. I mean, you could create a regional, you could create a regional conference, Virginia, with JMU, Liberty, regional conference that has, you know, maybe Virginia Tech in there, regional conference that could have, uh, you know, out of conference. Right? I mean, UNC is going to want to go to the big time. We know that. Yeah. Um, still could have the South's oldest rivalry somehow in there. Now, just James says this. I'm not even sure if there's enough time to answer this question, but how do divisions, how do divisions two and the FCS schools cover their costs to operate? How does division two and the FCS schools cover their costs to operate? I mean, donations. Yeah, I mean that's it. Um, they don't get a whole lot of TV money, obviously. Um, they get some money to travel to big time college football to be rent victims, as you call it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, who knows where it's going? There, there's, a, again, Chip Kelly, uh, some of his suggestions are not that far off from the new NCAA director. Um, somebody as recent as last year mentioned that we may see just one big conference split into divisions. Um sort of like the NFL. Uh, so I, I, who knows where it's going to end up, but it, it seems like that's where we're going. And, and, and this there, there won't be an ACC, an SEC, uh, Big anymore. 12, any of that stuff. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it's there's, there's just so many different directions that they could go in, but it all seems to be headed kind of toward that model that, that you just mentioned that Chip Kelly suggested. And this scenario it does create more opportunities for football players to earn income. And, I, you know, I think what we may be seeing here is that corporations are going to get more involved. Um, 
financially, which could produce enough money for a, a Virginia to compete. So what are you saying, like a, just spitballing like here, like a Nike could be the partner of Virginia football and they funnel the NIL dollars to the players? Yeah, or a Ford or Chevrolet or, you know, Mercedes-Benz or, you know, uh, some other huge corporation of some kind. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, but, I mean, I, I wouldn't dismiss the possibility of that. There was, uh, I know when there was some talk about the ACC and Pac-12 merging into a, a super bi-coastal conference that uh, a friend of mine who's well tied into some of those discussions mentioned that somebody like MGM, for example, could have thrown a lot of money into that idea and hosted a conference championship in Las Vegas under their brand. So it'd be awesome. You, you get casinos yeah. involved. I mean, there's, there's endless amounts of money out there these days. It's just a matter of who wants to spend it and what on. For our Virginia football fans who are watching closely, listen to this question. Watching right down the street from us, Grayson, he said, National Signing Day is tomorrow, and this might be the least watched or followed National Signing Day in my time of being a Virginia fan. Is this a direct result of the NIL? Probably so. Do you agree uh, it's the least anticipated National Signing Day that you've seen? Uh, I, I don't know about that. Um, there was a, a couple under, I think, London and maybe one or two under Bronco that I don't think were highly anticipated either. But uh, uh, it's hard to get a pulse on the, on the fan base. But, I mean, I think there, there's no real surprises. They're, they have a 12-man recruiting class. Uh, they had a couple of decommits. And then the kid uh, who's announcing at 4 o'clock this afternoon, Cameron Courtney, you think we got a shot? Uh, I, uh, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. So when he de- announces <laughs> his decommitment to Indiana while he's on his official visit at Virginia and decides to uh, announce the day before signing day, tells me strongly in my reporter instincts got that he's shot. coming to Virginia. <laughs> uh, Three-star. He's a three-star, and, uh, you know, he's, he was – He's an athlete, two-way player. He's a two-way player, and, he, you know, he, um, his original top five were Indiana, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia, and Pitt. So uh, there's not a lot of dogs in that, uh, in that group. But, um, I, you know, he seems to be a, a pretty darn good player, and, and – uh, Indiana looked at him, according to your reporting, as a free safety. UVA likes him as a wideout. Yeah, I think so, and and maybe a kick returner as well. But uh, I think maybe that's why he decided that that he's going to come to Virginia because he wants to play on the offensive side of the ball instead of the defensive side. But uh, he, he's he's a good athlete, and I think um, should they land him, which I fully expect that they will. Uh, he played for two-time state champion Freedom High School up in Northern Virginia. That that's a good place to get your foot in the door if you're Tony Elliott. Uh, he's already starting to make a little inroads around the Richmond area. Uh, he needs to try to do something down in Tidewater, but um, <clears throat> Freedom uh, has has been pretty solid the last two years, and you know that that's a that could be a feather in their cap if they can get uh, some inroads there. Um, how This is a good question. How would he grade National Signing Day or the recruits coming in from high school so far? I, I mean, this class is rated next to last in the ACC, so I, I don't think that it's going to – Have an impact. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say that but because, you know, a lot of people frowned on their recruiting efforts last year, but they ended up playing 12 of those guys this season, and some of them played pretty well. Yep. A lot better than maybe people had projected. 
So I, I wouldn't totally brush that off. And, I mean, who whoever thought Start a quarterback. Anthony Calandria was going to be what he is. And, you know, nobody wanted that kid. or well, Nobody in Power 5 football really wanted that kid. And look what he did. Uh, I, I don't believe in the star system. I think it's a, a bunch of baloney that helps recruiting sites drive interest toward their sites. Um, I think coaches, Al Groh taught me this a long time ago, is that, you know, you just because a guy um, has a lot of stars or something doesn't mean he's going to fit your style of play and your system. I mean, look at Chris Canty, who was a two-star out of Charlotte that nobody was crazy about. He ended up playing in the NFL for quite a while. Uh, there's been a lot of guys like that. There, there were some other guys who were five stars that were total busts. Uh, we see that happen all the time. So uh, it's, it's whether uh, you think this particular guy can play for you and fit your style of play. And I think I trust coaches – eyes more than I do somebody from a Star recruiting website right. who has seen some coached, highlight tapes never coached a lick in their life um, so uh, six of these kids six of these 12 kids and maybe seven depending on Courtney I don't know assuming he comes here are going to be early enrollees which pales in comparison to North Carolina where they have 30 guys coming in as early enrollees and that gives you a tremendous jump start on your career uh, asked Anthony Calandria what it did for him last spring being here uh, as a true freshman in uh, participating in the winter workout program and spring ball uh, but six is is more than we usually see at Virginia and that that could help some of these kids uh, get a head start on their career for the for the fall. This question's come in. How much of a selling point was Virginia showing recruits and the NIL of the holes on its roster and the immediate impact the players could have? I'm sure that was a selling point because uh, if you're a high school kid... You want to play. You want to play. I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, you don't want a red shirt if you don't have to. Uh, some of these guys need it. Uh, obviously, some of them aren't ready physically for college ball, or, or maybe even otherwise. But uh, some are. Some are ready to play and want to play. And and uh, playing time is a, is a big bonus if you can show that to a recruit. So, um, in that respect, I'm surprised they weren't able to get a few more guys. Uh, Malik Washington question has come in. Has he played himself into a pro wide receiver? Uh, no question. Yeah. Second uh, day pick, first day pick? It depends. Depends on uh, what people are looking for. Uh, somebody looking for a, a solid slot receiver. Uh, you never know how. I, I hate to project stuff like that because we've seen guys who thought they'd go early in the first round and didn't go to the third round or even the seventh round in some cases back in the day. But uh, I, I think he—I don't think he has any issues. He's going to be playing in some of these All-Star games, where uh, all the pro teams have coaches there, scouts there, and and they get a close-up look at these guys uh, that they can't get just coming to a game and watching them play. Same viewer and listener asked about Mike Collins' upside. Love Mike Collins. I love Mike Collins. He's a hero. I I really hope that somebody gives him a shot. Uh, He's not the fastest guy in the world. the quickest guy, yeah. uh, But he's got the biggest heart of of anybody out there. And uh, I hope somebody gives him a shot. I I, I don't know that he'll get drafted, but I I think somebody will uh, sign him as a free agent. Could latch on as a special teams player. The same viewer asked about the conversion to fullback. Tough part about the fullback in the National Football League, it's just not a position that's emphasized by teams anymore. No. Uh, fullback, very few teams yeah. other than my 49ers use fullbacks effectively. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't see that happening as well. You got Who's your MVP pick? You give it to Purdy or CMC? Personally, I give it to CMC because I think the man. he's uh, unique. 
there's nobody like him in the NFL, and uh, he does things for that team that they wouldn't they wouldn't be where they are if it wasn't for him. Uh, CMC, or you could plug or- somebody else into that quarterback spot, and I think he might not be as successful as Purdy, but uh, without CMC, it's not the same football team. CMC or uh, Tyreek Hill. CMC. That two thousand yard potential receiver there, Hootie. I know that. Uh, again, I, CMC, uh, he can run it, he can catch it uh, like nobody I've seen in a long time. So I, 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 he sold me. I love it. I love it. Hootie Ratcliffe, ladies and gentlemen, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. He's going to be watching the game on TV tonight, Memphis, yep. UVA, 7 o'clock tip. Um, I'll be watching it as well. We'll see what happens with this Wahoo football team. National signing day plan. What do you, what do you got coverage-wise? Uh, well, we'll be there tomorrow at uh, the noon press conference. And um, I don't know how many – if they're going to have assistant coaches available there or not, but uh, we'll be talking to Tony Elliott. We'll have profiles on all uh, each player uh, and have – Tony's comments and, and perhaps comments from some other coaches if, if they're available. JerryRatcliffe.com is the website. JerryRatcliffe.com. I'm on it right now. The uh, source for anything Virginia athletic-related, JerryRatcliffe.com. I see some of the best of the best as his partners on the website at JerryRatcliffe.com. My friend did a heck of a job. It's always fun talking UVA football and basketball and uh, – especially with somebody that knows it like you do. Thank you kindly. I learned from you. Uh, best boss I ever had, Jerry Ratcliffe. Judah Wickhauer, props to you. Philip Downwood, Scottsville, thank MVP. you for watching. MV- He's our CMC, That's Judah right. Wickhauer. You're our CMC. CMC. <laughs> he says, Christian McCaffrey. You are Christian McCaffrey, Judah Wickhauer. Uh, there we go, man. Uh, I think he's good with that. I know. I think he's good with that, too. I would take that moniker. Uh, for Jerry Ratcliffe and Judah Wickhauer, my name is Jerry Miller. This is the Jerry and Jerry Show on a Tuesday. Happy holidays to you and yours. We'll watch that Virginia-Memphis game closely, where the Tigers currently a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Tip-off, 7 o'clock ESPN. Thank you kindly for joining us. We will see you guys next time. Merry take Christmas. Care. Merry Christmas. Absolutely. Nicely done.